Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 61, A Single Drop of Rain. Billy! Billy Beaumont! God almighty, Billy! Is it really you? Yeah, it's me. Oh, Billy! Billy! Every church-going soul in the whole town's been praying for you to roll in here. Why? Why? Well, why else, boy? To make it rain. Rain? Rain of precipitation and maker of rain. Oh, boy. Did, did you really overdo it down there in Louisiana and cause a flood? Flood? Oh, sure, sure thing. It's true. It's true. Yes, it is. <laughs> town of Tallulah. Dr. Beaumont went a little heavy on the silver iodide, but a time the storm was done, you couldn't tell Main Street from the Mississippi. <laughs> Who's your friend? My friend? Oh, uh, Clinton Levering. Clinton now. Levering. Yes. Proud to be an assistant and apprentice to your son here, Dr. Beaumont. Oh, for God's sakes, boy, can you make it rain? Of course it can't. Tell him, Billy. Ralph, aren't you even going to say hello to your brother? Right after he tells these good people the truth. How about it, Billy? Can you make it rain? This is terrible. Did you see how those people in town were looking at me like I was some kind of a, a messiah or something? And this is what I got to work with. I got the... Don't, don't be so hasty, Sam. Siggy says that you've got the right stuff here. Yeah, what, pie cutters and mercurochrome? Yeah. No, no, silver and iodine. This is what you don't understand now. I grew up on a farm. We lived and died by the rain. Now, when you're in the middle of a drought, people get very desperate. They'll do anything. So I'm just thinking, Sam. based on what you just said, what if maybe Sam. I could bring these people rain? Sam, Sam, we can, we can change history. We can change people. But the weather, that's the leap of another color. I mean, that's, no, that's a horse of another kettle. I no. Mean, I, mean, I don't know what I mean. Then why am I here, huh? Beautiful here. <laughs> I hate it. What? I swear, Billy, sometimes I listen to those damn cicadas and it gets so loud it just makes me want to scream. I bet you you could take me places where there aren't any cicadas. Well, you don't need me for that. All you gotta do is get Ralph and hop in the car and off you go. You don't mean my Ralph. 
Well, sure I do. Well, Billy, have you ever known him to go anywhere? Billy, you and I were together only twice, and I had more excitement in those two nights than I have had in the eight years since. Yeah, well, um... And, and I'll tell you something else. The minute I saw your face in town, it was like those... <laughs> it was like those new TVs Ralph was talking about. Everything just went from black and white to color. Oh, no, don't tell me Ziggy doesn't have anything on the rain. Not only that, it may be that the rain is not the main reason you're here. You're kidding me. No. The real Billy Beaumont came here in 1953. When Beaumont left, he took Annie with him, and Ralph Beaumont was a broken man. Ziggy says there's an 88% chance that you're here to keep the two of them together. Tell you what, Ralph, why don't we stop fighting, huh? Who's fighting? Come on, we've been fighting ever since I got here. Let me make it simple for you. Things are damn tough here in Clover Bend. But the folks, well, we're tough too. We can take just about anything the good Lord dishes out so long as we look it square in the eye. You get my meaning? So you don't want me raising false hopes with all this rain talk, is that it? The drought's dried up a lot more than soil around here, Billy. It's dried up a lot of soul, most of them. And it ain't gonna take a whole lot of your hot air to blow us all away. But I'm not gonna take your money. Look at it this way, Billy. If it turns out we are wrong about you, it won't make a tinker's dam anyhow. We're all through. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it rain, a big rain this town will never forget. I'm gonna raise up a storm so big, it's gonna wash this whole town clean down to Mexico. And you can all turn in your hats for sombreros, and they will fill up with rain. everyone this is chris welcome to the quantum leap podcast who do i got with me allison and who else come on i'm matt the gang's all here let's go podcast listeners q to the l to the p to the podcast i don't know i'm trying to do like a single drop of rain kind of deal does that oh, is work that, what I that was i don't know what, I, are you trying to do like a, a music man pool number is that what you're doing yeah pretty much that's kind of <laughs> i wanted to do that kind of that spiel i got into the spirit i want to be like you know dancing around in the dust make it rain in my stylish duds. do you all want to listen to a podcast that'll make you feel refreshed <laughs> say hallelujah can i get an amen <laughs> You have to be super southern when you do Alice it. Alison, you were born for this. You're the continent show person. Please continue. Oh, man, that's all I got. It just starts going into my southern lawyer voice. How is that different to any other southern voice? What makes it loyally? I don't know. I say, I say, I say. I think you've gone into foghorn leghorn. Whose response? I say, who's responsible for this unwarranted attack on my person? <laughs> Look, I only got, I only got one. <laughs> it, it's either that or it turns into a little hit bars. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> All right. So, hey everyone, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh, we are discussing a single drop of rain and uh, I, I I think I'm already feeling the vibe of this podcast. I think everyone had a lot of fun with this episode, maybe? Oh yeah. Yeah, nice light one, you know? 
Um, why don't we do some initial impressions now that our uh, impressions of Sam as uh, Carnival Barker are over? Uh, Allison, <laughs> tell us about your history with A Single Drop of Rain. I don't really have a history with it, but... Uh, no, no history. No hist- you have the drawl. <laughs> well, I mean, just because I can do a southern accent doesn't mean I have history. <laughs> and you learned it from watching this episode 230 times. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you could have cemented your fandom right there. I gave you an end. <laughs> um, this is a... A Hallmark movie warm fuzzy of an episode, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a, it's just kind of nice, you know? Like, I wouldn't say it's like huge laugh out loud thing. It's just sort of warm and comfortable, I think. All right. How about you, Matt? Um, Two things I learned from Quantum Leap. All American Italians, Italian Americans (laughs) are hitmen and mobsters. And all Southerners are dumb as shit uh, <laughs> and think that they can make it rain. Um, yeah, I love this episode. Uh, screw the stereotypes. It's it's a really fun one. I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. And I am going to join you guys in that sentiment. I think this is a, a really good episode. However, I think it has some very troubling subtext, and I can't wait to discuss that. But on the whole, it's nice to get back to sort of a quantum leap with a quantum leapy feel. And um, sort of the fun that I think defines the series is is here in spades. So um, I, I think that um, this episode had um, a, a lot going on. It was the first time we've seen Sam in more of a period setting than we have in a while. And I don't know what to attribute that to because it was just like an outside set. But did you guys get that same feeling? Because it seems like the last few episodes we haven't had sort of that that sense of place. But maybe it was the car and maybe it was um, Sam's outfits in this one. Just gave it so much more of a period feel to me. Yeah, they put a lot into the the outfits, the sets, the props. They really seem to go all out in this. I think this was, um, yeah, Jean-Pierre got a, an Emmy nomination for this one. Yeah, the costumes were great. So yeah, the, the whole look and feel. I really liked um, that during uh, certain parts of it, like Sam and Al were matching. Like <laughs> Sam's wearing this like bright red vest and hat, and then Al's wearing a bright red suit, and it's like around the same shade. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time since they've done that. The the first season, they they kind of subtly have Al almost reflecting the time frame they were in, and they seem to have slipped away from that a bit recently. But yeah, there's definitely there's shades there for sure. It's odd you say that, Matt, because I've always thought that Al's place in the show was to stand out specifically as an anachronism. So for you to say that you've always seen like subtle period bits to incorporate him into the time frame that Sam is in, I've never really noticed that. I've noticed the exact opposite. So it's an interesting observation to me. Yeah, I mean, for sure, the the materials and a lot of the specifics, yes, they obviously stand out. But if you if you watch him in the early episodes, a lot of the time the the silhouette um, has has quite a an appropriate feel. He just occasionally uh, would have some things that um, I think are nods to the time mm. period, or or yeah. maybe he just sort of feels like that because. Um, he does sort of have like an old timey crooner vibe at times, <laughs> depending on on which Al you're looking at. <laughs> Sometimes it's just crazy zoot suits. Um, uh, I think especially when you like add a fedora, it gives it that sort of old timey feel. I think uh, like uh, in um, played against Seymour, mm. his outfits were they were futuristic, but it it did sort of have the feel of that time. In some ways, it's almost as if in in those episodes. 
they took the outfits from from those episodes or the the costumes of those times and imagined what they would look like many years down the line. That's an excellent sort of way to look at it. Allison, you should get on Twitter with your best friend, Jean-Pierre Dorliac, and ask him if that was his inspiration when he was designing uh, the outfits for Al. Did he maybe try to extrapolate from the time period and give it a more futuristic vibe? Hmm. Yeah, he might have. I mean, I think there's something about like a suit that can feel kind of timeless too. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it places him in there. Um, some of the earlier scripts, when you read what the descriptions of Al are, like season one stuff, they describe really literal costumes that I f- I'm glad that they didn't do. Like um, there's one where he's wearing like aviator goggles or something and like he's he's just like very literal to what's going on it's it's basically just wearing a costume and i like that uh, occasionally al would have some stuff that are nods to what's going on i think the most literal uh dressing that he did was in disco inferno when he put on the disco suit yeah. but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was that was a statement that he was making though right yeah so. yeah but normally it's just sort of like you could you could get some nods like in subtle ways with things that he's wearing or his brooches might have like the pins might have something in it that mm-hmm. has to do with what's going on but yeah. uh but it's not just like he's wearing a costume. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm glad that that Jean-Pierre was nominated for an Emmy for mm. this one because like it was it was fun and Sam looked really good. Can yeah. I just say like like all these outfits like looked really good on mm. him. Very flattering. Yeah, even even I noticed that. And I don't usually notice it beyond the fact that, okay, he's wearing this because it's 1956 or something like that. And it's just like, no, a lot of care went into the look of this episode. And I think it's funny that we're starting there because, like I said, to me, this this felt like sort of a return to form after Mm -hmm. a couple of very um, sort of out there episodes that that weren't especially quantum leap or, or maybe they were especially heavy. This one seemed to be sort of right in the sweet spot in a lot of ways. And I think that this is the first time in a while that we've returned to a show that has a couple of themes that go throughout it instead of, say, like one main theme, like, say, Raped had like a very central theme that they were really trying to hit home with. I think in this one we have we have a few different things going on. And something that Quantum Leap excels in is maybe discussing the power of faith. Um, we haven't seen that in quite a while on the show. And um, I think that was a central bit of this. I think some of the other ones I wrote down is like, say, like freedom versus responsibility Mm -hmm. and also the power of expectations. And I think those three things distinctly play into making this episode up and the characters in the episode are all in different places with those things. So, I think that this is one of the more overtly uh, religious episodes that they have. And they haven't done that in a while. Mm. Um, They've certainly had references to the fact that they think that God or time or fate or whatever is what's leaping Sam around. Um, uh, He he talks to the sky as if he is talking to God. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one is overtly, it's just a, it's, he's straight up just asking for a miracle. There's no like... You know, maybe there's some scientific basis here, though he does think, you know, you can change the weather using science. But he, he at one point, is just praying to God, saying, like, hey, you got to make it rain. Like, I haven't asked. I, I've done so much for you. Please just do this one thing for me. I don't know who's running this show. I don't know why I was chosen. I bounce around from place to place. everything I'm supposed to do. 
least the best way I can. But I don't know how to do this one. I mean, you gotta help me. I figure you owe me. For a couple of times, anyway. You make it rain. You hear me? You make it rain! Yeah, I think that's... That's kind of one of the more problematic areas of the episode for me. I love the the, the faith elements of this episode, um, and as a, a devout atheist, um, I, I still find that kind of thing very interesting. Um, but I, I struggle to square that up with a show that, for the most part, has been fairly clear that Sam is likely an instrument of God, to then Sam praying to God for a miracle and getting that miracle... And it it does kind of start to pull apart at the whole quantum leap mythos because you think, well, did did the other people that Sam leapt into did they just not pray hard enough to not die or, <laughs> or get get murdered or whatever? Because then Sam comes along and prays, and suddenly there's rain. There's it, it you can't look at it too deeply. I don't think it's it. This is one of those episodes you don't want to pick at too much, but yeah. <laughs> I think because there was no scientific explanation for it as well, and they've certainly had like supernatural things that they've had happen that you can't really explain, but because the way that this is solved, you can't say like, oh, but actually Al pulled through with some scientific yeah. thing, or this thing could have been this. Oh, this is I God. think that's what makes it seem, yeah, it, it, like it's outright just a, a miracle. <laughs> and I have, so, I have I, no problem with that in isolation. Um, in the context of the whole Quantum Leap canon, it, it raises some questions. So you guys both read it as God coming through for Sam in the clutch. 100%. Well, what did you read it as? Oh, no, that. I just wanted to make sure that I was on the same page. I, I think this is the episode where they are making a claim that God does exist and he is watching out for Sam. Yeah. Because there's no other way to explain yeah. well, it. Well, I mean, but who put the star up in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> Optical ah. illusions. That was uh, Blake. <laughs> he, he, you know, he was rebounding. That was the power of Blake's, I don't know, God... Talking about Grinches now that you bring up the Christmas episode. I, was, was Ralph the Drought Grinch? I think Ralph was the Drought Grinch. <laughs> it's funny because I wanted to talk about Ralph. I want to talk about so much. I feel like I'm all over the place. I don't know where to begin. But um, if we want to stay on the God thing just just a little bit, I, I, I was going to save this for the end, but I always say that. This to me, again, taken in the context of the whole series, like you just said, Matt, could be um, an indicator of where Sam is headed for mirror image. Um, yeah. I, I think I've said this before. Um, what, what did he say to Al at the very end of that episode? Are you, are you telling me the leaps are going to get tougher? I mean, this to me is like it's, he's in a, an impossible position here, and he's he's actually appealing to whatever power is putting him in these situations to help me out. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't, why am I here? What, why would you put me here if I can't affect change? And um, in the end, God is just like, yeah, all right. And he ruffles Sam's hair and he makes it rain. And <laughs> I think that um, it was one of the more direct references 
to the existence of God in the series. And like you, Matt, I'm a devout atheist, and I had some trouble with the science in this episode and Sam and Al's <laughs> approach to the science in this episode. And I put science in air quotes. Yeah. But I think I that— I heard them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that— um, Maybe saying, like taking a stand that God is real and he's here helping Sam, I don't mind it so much because I think it fits in with the mythology of the show and the feel mm -hmm. of the show. I don't think it ever detracted from the show because the show never preached about it no. or tried to make you believe what it believes. It just puts it out there. And in this case, it's more manifest than it is in other episodes. But um, it works. It really works. I think one of the things um, when I was rewatching this uh, last night... I found myself sort of struggling with some elements of it, um, trying to connect the stories together and, and what overall message they were trying to tell. Um, it, not because like of the faith element, I understood that. Um, but I was trying to reconcile a, a very interesting thing that they do in this episode in that Sam is trying to bring about a miracle while posing as a charlatan. He tells all these people that he can make it rain. He's this con artist. Yeah. And it seems at the end, it's like, was well, is the episode telling you, like, just have faith in bullshit? Like, why <laughs> they're rewarded for believing in this guy? But I think uh, the conclusion I really came to is that, like, it, it, the message of faith there, it's it's not just the the people trying to believe in him. It's also... Billy and Clint and uh, Ralph and Annie, all of them finding faith, too, about um, Billy finding his foundation. And that's why he ends up staying in the end. Like, he needs this miracle just as much as they do. Oh, it's funny you say that because I think Billy is a danger. And I think Billy poses a danger once Sam leaves because Billy is obviously scum. And there's just no two ways about it. Um <laughs> when I think of Billy, I think of a master manipulator who doesn't care who he hurts, someone yeah. that abandoned the family and went off to do his own thing, found a shtick and a spiel with which he could, uh, you know, fleece the rubes and is just going from town to town on the run, uh, trying to stay one step ahead of it. And I think that his choice of Clinton as an assistant um, supports that. I think the fact that he didn't do anything to contact his family until he saw there could be some profit in it. Yeah. And that's what brought mm -hmm. him back to what, what was it? The name of the Clover Bend or whatever the hell it was um, to drought town. And it's hard to reconcile that you're right, Allison, because Sam is the hero, but he's left into a real, a real piece of work. And you don't really get that sense of it. Unless you start seeing the episode from Ralph's point of view. To me, Ralph is the hero of this episode mm -hmm. because he's absolutely right about everything he says about Billy. And yeah, he might be cold and he might be uh, distant when it comes to his relationship with Annie. But I mean, can you blame him? This woman throughout the entire episode has basically been throwing herself yeah. at Billy since he got back. You know what I think they should have done what? with this? Because I totally get what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, they have that bit at the end where Sam realizes uh, what's going on with uh, Ralph and Annie and uh, and Billy. He has to turn himself into the villain there. 
he has to like act like, oh yeah, you never really loved her and you couldn't take care of her and like yeah. she was great and he's making him beat him up and turning himself into the villain because through the whole episode, I think he was, he was trying to, to put them off, but he, there was this turning point where he's trying to be the hero that they need. You know, like, they need some sort of miracle, so become this thing that they want you to be. And I think instead of rewarding them at the end, he should have realized that, like, you can't turn yourself into something that you aren't. Like, he is supposed to be the villain of the story. But instead, like, it's it's a bit of a mixed message by having their faith in this false prophet basically rewarded. But... This is where I start to have problems. Again, it, it's it's after the leap out. It's when you consider Sam a Sam, and he's doing that as an act, just to get uh, I don't know some kind of catharsis or, or whatever. You said it like you said, Allison. It's kind of a mixed message. It's just like it's so that uh, that Ralph can have his chance to shine, and then Annie falls back in love with him, or, or if she ever loved him to begin with. I have trouble believing that too, but she she kisses Sam right on the lips mm. the first time they see yeah. each other in front of everyone. No one cares. Yeah, she's got no sense of social decorum. She's got no sense <laughs> in, later on and at the picnic. What up with this? <laughs> at the picnic, she's just like, if I go home, it's going to be to pack. This is in front of everybody in town, and mm-hmm. it's just because Ralph is calling Billy out. Apparently, Billy to him on his nonsense. Talking to nobody in the middle of the street, talking about his wife running away and saying, what are you doing? And you're still like nothing has happened. You've been launching this this garbage into the air. And where's the rain? And that's when Sam goes with this whole, you, you, you can't believe with your head. You have to believe with your heart. And it's just like, what is that? <laughs> anyway. It, it's weird that they have this whole metaphor for foundation. Um with Ralph saying, like, you know, he is the strong foundation. Billy mm. is the foundation of sand, which is a biblical metaphor. And in the end, like, he is the stronger foundation. So she gets back with Ralph, but they have the rain actually come. And so all of these people that had the, the faith in him, it's like, so, so they're supposed to have the, not the foundation of sand, but also the foundation of sand totally works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you can have both. Yeah. <laughs> right. And can can they make it rain or not? Because Al and Sam are like, to, to take a phrase out of George Bush's playbook, there are a couple of flip-floppers. Uh, is that, that's my Texas accent. I can't really do it. But professional botherers. <laughs> professional botherers, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so Sam has doubts when he sees the contraption. And Al says, no, 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 this is all the right stuff. Ziggy says you have the right stuff to make it rain. And then Sam immediately says, okay, then let's make it rain. And Al says, well, no, we can't. Well, you just said we have the right stuff to make it rain. Now you're telling me we can't make it rain. I, and now Sam is convinced and Al is incredulous. And then, you know, later on in the episode, Sam, once again, he, he like embraces the idea that they're going to make it rain when he does his spiel, his his little song and dance in the street, a, a bit of that that I love. Not as good as Clinton's. I love Not as I good as Clinton's. But, uh, but, you know, Scott, the song and dance man really got to come out in that one. But when he's done with that, he immediately sits down and chastises himself, like, what am I doing? What did I say? So do they believe <laughs> that they're going to be able to make it rain or not? <laughs> he he doesn't believe that he is a, a rainmaker, that he can, like, put a bunch of stuff into a mason jar, and then all of a sudden, like, this is going to happen. Um, so he's extremely embarrassed with himself for doing this, but he, he just doesn't want to disappoint them. But I really love that Sam in this episode, he is so sure... 
that he can make this rain somehow with some sort of miracle from the future. Like he's like, Al, you know, we we can figure something out. We can control the weather, right? We can figure out something. Like he's just so optimistic, um, maybe even in a naive way about like how much power they have to to give this to these people. Hey, they can time travel. You know, it, they they can put a man back at 50, 60 years in time. Of course they can make it rain. Yeah. Yeah, why not? It's it's completely plausible. <laughs> I love that Al has to seduce his way into MIT to get information. <laughs> and, yeah. But I would have loved to see I that. I love that too. And the secretary <laughs> is, you know, what did she give him though? She gave him nothing. Because he's just <laughs> like... Nothing, but he, I don't know, maybe he got laid. <laughs> I, I'm sure he got plenty out of it. No, I mean, okay, nothing <laughs> in the rainmaking department. But what does, what does Lisa think about all this? Tina, what, Lisa, who the hell's Lisa? What does Tina think uh, about all this? Tina's with Gushy. It's oh, yeah, right. okay. Tina's Fair having right. an affair with Gushy. So, uh, also, where is Al dating a secretary from MIT? What did he take a red eye to Boston from New Mexico? Yeah, and back. That's why he's tired. <laughs> it's the future. He just got into like a little tube, like Futurama, and it just <laughs> shot him over there. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we can recon that into his quantum leap. But anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> See, another amazing feature thing. Time travel, weather control, and ridiculously fast travel. I thought it was cute that they alluded to Ziggy and Ziggy's attitude. I'm exhausted. Well, I was up all night putting the make on the secretary from MIT to get your rain information. MIT? Uh, I thought Ziggy said you had to tap into defense. Well, they've got their own computer guarding the gate. I would have liked to heard that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that, like... When it comes to, like, supernatural, creepy, weird stuff, Al seems on board with it. Mm. Um, but he's not on board with the, the whole miracle department. And Sam is usually the one that if there's some sort of scientific basis there, like aliens, you could say there's a scientific basis. Bigfoot, arguably, you could say there's a scientific basis. You know, things that, like, sort of are grounded in some sort mm -hmm. of science. Uh, he's down for except for uh the miracle stuff he that is the one thing that like you can't really give a scientific explanation for unless you want to count the leaps but he is outright just asking for a miracle and and al's like this is a load of crap yeah <laughs> this is bullshit <laughs> well al doesn't have a great relationship with god yeah that's true you're yeah, right isn't that interesting it's he believes in the devil, but God yeah. is a little bit harder for no, him. No, it's, it's referred to a few times. I think that gets picked up in the novels a few times as well. Oh, no, by all means. And Al has a big gripe with God. I think he says yeah. it earlier on in the series. And the fact that yeah. he's very superstitious, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a, an atheist. I think that he's just angry at God for yeah. the life yeah. that he's led. So maybe that's why he poo-poos the idea of a miracle, because when has God ever been there for him from his point mm -hmm. of view? Yeah. Well, it, it goes back to MIA when he's talking about the devil existing because he's seen evil. He has proof that this is a thing that exists to him, but it's harder for him to believe in in a miracle. Right. And I wonder, I wish they had maybe played on his reaction to the rain at the end more than they did, other than, yay, we yeah, did he, it, yeah. you know? He's just sort of stuck on the porch because they can't break the hologram uh I think so he he can't get wet so they just stick him on the porch <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I hadn't even considered that. That's why they had a covered porch. Huh? Uh -huh. That's why he doesn't go out and see Sam because they're like, eh, it costs a lot of money to screen him into that. I don't know. He's just going to stay on the porch. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> I think though that um, this episode does use science as a whipping boy rather than religion. They play the science again in air quotes for gags, mostly in this one because I mean, how else do you? But it's it's bullshit. Anyway. I know, but how mm. else do you describe the scene where Sam doesn't know the difference between silver iodine and silver iodide? I mean, Sam is a chemist. <laughs> He waxes yes. fondly and star-crossed about the smell of Bunsen burners. I think he knows- That's true. You know, the difference between the different chemicals on that truck. He would be pretty adept at saying, okay, well, this might react with this somehow. Why does Al need to go and find a secret formula for the, I don't know, the four elements that they have that Sam could possibly mix <laughs> on the back of that wagon? That scene was so good. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Here. Uh, you got silver iodide? Yes, silver iodide. Okay, get, the, not iodine, now iodide. All right, silver put iodide. that in there. They told me this is it. How much? Right. And just throw some in. Okay. Hydrochloric good. acid. Good. Hydrochloric acid. Yeah, you got that? Yeah, this this is nasty stuff, though. How much hydrochloric acid? Got a, a skull crossbone. How, how much of this stuff am I supposed to use? I don't know. Just put it all. All right. Holy smokes! All right. Next, you add the acid. Yeah. How much of this stuff? Uh, I don't know. Ah! When you put that in, it gets very unstable. Maybe I'll get lucky and it'll blow up. <laughs> Don't whine, <laughs> Sam. So good. So, yeah, that was some gold right there. And again, it's it's really fun to get back to the dynamics between those two because uh, they've been they've been sort of at odds in the last few episodes uh, with with just like these weird kinds of leaps. So it's, it's just nice to have the patter back, you know, the banter. And another thing that reminded me of Quantum Leap of Old when this thing first started, I thought, is this a Tommy script? Did Tommy write this? Because what's the first thing that happens? When Sam rolls into town, um, some woman, just a random woman, just comes <laughs> strutting along and wants to make out with him. Gosh, I saw that and I'm like, you know, I am kind of tired of that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> there was no reason for that. No, exactly that. And then Annie comes along and just straight out makes up with him in the middle of the street. And I'm just like, wow, Tommy's on. Oh, wait, this isn't Tommy. It's Richard Oakey. <laughs> Richard Oakey. What other ones did he write? I'm looking at his page here. Oh, is this his first one? I honestly don't know. For some reason, I was thinking he was the one who did uh, play it against Seymour, but I guess not. Now, I, I still have a conundrum with this one, because um, this was something I picked up while I was writing the book. The original broadcast episode is credited to Richard Oakey and Don Belisario. The French version and the HD version are credited to Oakey, Richard Stanley and Ralph Mayerin Jr., and not Belisario at all. Interesting. I've not been able to figure that one out. I've not got to the bottom of it. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, this is a bit of trivia hmm. because I was going to ask you if you had any insight into this because I, when I was trying to see if Tommy wrote this, I was reading the credits and the credits are in the standard Quantum Leap font from like season three on. Yep. And then all yeah, of yeah. a sudden when it goes to the written by, it goes yep. back to like a season yeah. one style font. It's very. It stands out, you know, like a sore thumb if you're looking at it. Then it goes back to directed by in the regular font. So they obviously inserted, or went back to, an older. That that's a card from the the, the remastered version or from the, the the newer versions. If you'd have been watching one of the original DVDs, it's a consistent font throughout. Then what 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 accounts for the change of the font for remastering it? Why did they go back to that weird old style? I I don't know, but it, I mean, this wasn't even this this wasn't just for the new HD masters. This was this was present in the French versions, and the French versions were as broadcast in the the mid nineties. So at some point in the the year or so between it being broadcast in the US and it being broadcast in France, something happened that made them change their minds about who should be credited. 
Well, it might have been a decision from the Writers Guild. Yeah, something like that. And then when it came to do the HD remasters, they did a bodge job to to fix the old writer credit on the American version of it. But the yeah, the the French version had that uh, had that fix very soon after the US broadcast, within a year or so. Well, if anybody knows the ins and outs of the writer disputes. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, yeah. interesting. So I don't know who Stanley and Mayerin are, but um, they managed to get themselves a credit after the broadcast. Well, good for them, because if this did come out of their, you know, if this was their brainchild and then somebody on staff just went with it and wrote it, then they deserve the credit. Because yeah. I, I feel like this one is is a more well-known episode of the series. Yeah, they included um, the track from uh, when he's uh, talking to God on the um, soundtrack CD. Mm. And all of the music in this is really great. Yeah. The music in this episode is good. The track that you're referring to, Allison, is the track that we traditionally put under Hayden's Quantum Deep segments. Mm. And yes. the music in this one, I thought Velton knocked it out of the park. If it's Velton yes. anyway. I mean, just the, the banjo and everything. It was hickey enough without being condescending. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that and one that, stock Southern track. <laughs> and that might be, going back to the first point that you made, Chris, that might be another one of the elements that makes this feel a lot more of the time. Um, the last few episodes, Felton's music's been a fair bit more traditional uh, 80s drama, and this really goes for the time period. True. It, it goes for that hometown yes uh southern feel yeah you know so and that's sort of where quantum leap thrives i think like when you have like small town southern stories i think that's that's one of their their bags yeah you know what i i really liked there's a bit where uh sam is is with ralph and he's talking about um putting another load out of uh, balloons or whatever bullshit is going on <laughs> and um, he's like yeah put another load out and Ralph says load is what it is alright <laughs> <laughs> well there you go you have Ralph coming in swooping in like he's ostensibly the bad guy but really pointing out that you know Billy's full of it he um he played a bad guy in uh, Americanization of Machiko he was the, the bad guy in that one Ralph was, he was the pitcher? yeah it's the same actor oh wow Patrick Massett, if anyone's interested. Um, so good job, Patrick. We got to see a softer side of him on this episode. Yeah, Patrick Massett. Yeah. Because he he does play a douche really well. And I mean, he's just so parsimonious and sour about everything in this episode. Even helping his neighbors doesn't really give him any joy when he was uh, parsing out those staples to, was it Gene, I think? the The dude in the chair. And Sam said, why don't you get an even dozen? And he said, because I can't afford it. And um, Ralph is like, I know you're good for it, and don't worry about it. And Sam's like, you let him keep his dignity. That's great. And then he just turns around and snaps and says, what choice do I have? You know, they don't have anything. And if I, I don't give it to them, they're just going to go under, and then I go under. And it's just like, wow, you can't even be grateful for at least being part of a community, can you? That's how joyless your life has become. And I feel bad for him in that instance as much as I hate him because it's just like, what does he have? All he's got is that store. His wife manifestly does not like him. And he he always felt like he was the second fiddle to Billy. I mean, she loved Billy from the beginning, even after Billy left. He says it at the end. I could see it in your eyes. I was just a poor substitute. It's like, why is he sticking around with her? They make him out to be the dick. But I think that, like, in, in so many ways, he's the victim of the piece. 
and he's just mm-hmm. he's just mm-hmm. fed up and now like the source of all of the things that he sees as contentious in his life just waltzed back into town making false promises and it I really, when I watched, I watched it again a third time just to see it from Ralph's point of view completely. And they did a wonderful job writing Ralph. He wasn't just like some paper tiger. He wasn't a straw man for the sake of the plot. I think they took a lot of care to make him consistent and to actually give him a point of view that's that's very valid. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to piece together my thoughts on all this. It's a it's a it's a confusing yeah. um, mix of messages. I think I think they were they were going for some sort of. Again, a biblical analogy, perhaps, with this whole, like, maybe it's sort of a bit of prodigal son in there as well, with, like, Sam's character going out and being accepted back by the parent and then the the jealous brother and, like, why would you accept him with all this and being lost and found and and all this stuff. Um, But you're right, like, Ralph ends up being the hero of the story, the unlikely Mm -hmm. hero, because he's, he's so unlikable, and I think they're doing to the audience what is happening in the town like billy is a horrible character but because you like sam you like billy (laughs) you're falling for this whole spiel and you're getting caught up in the fun of all this but he is cheating everyone he's lying to everyone about what's going on and ralph is he makes it so hard for you to like him even though that you know he's right yeah and they have to turn you around on him by the end. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of doing that and also keeping Sam as, as likable Sam. I mean, you know, we, we know Sam can take a punch and he got a good noodle kick in at the end. So that was <laughs> yeah. fun to watch. <laughs> Once again, he gets he gets thrown through a railing. Yeah. <laughs> this happened in Raped as well. They just have that breakaway railing at the ready. They're like, all right. Diamond, let's go. I have no idea this was a theme of the series. That's Diamond's favorite stunt. (laughs) (laughs) So while we're on character work here, I mean, I'd love to discuss the character of Annie, but I feel like she was sort of the most one note because she just wanted to leave, even though I don't think that she had a very thankful role. I think that uh, the woman who played her, Phyllis Lyons, did an amazing job. Um, I was never bored when she was on screen, and I, I felt for her, too. Again, another very well-written character, even though they didn't get to explore much more of her personality except for her discontent. And I think that she sort of symbolized like the longing of uh, the people in the town to, to just get away from the oppressive conditions. The mom was sort of the opposite. She was just like the. She's like Ralph is like this land. Um, he'll he'll give you a living, but he'll make you work at it. And she sees Billy as like this romantic ideal of a life of adventure. And Sam did a great job of sort of undercutting that and saying, when these feelings are over, you need ground to stand on, and I can't offer you that. And sure as hell, Billy is not going to offer her that. So, I thought that was like another great turn where he was able to at least maybe open her eyes to what she has, even though what she has wasn't working for her in that moment. I like that analogy about the foundation. Maybe you should think of Ralph like he was a foundation. Okay. Okay? Okay. He's a pile of posts that are better off buried and don't even notice them till they rot. And then you either replace them or you move on. Well, thanks, Billy. I never quite saw it that way. Oh, yeah, that went over big. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> How mad he was. Yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying um, about this character. Like, she sees Billy as this 
ideal. And I think a lot of people can relate to wondering what if, what if you took that that risk and went with this person who, what about the person that got away? Are you missing out on something in life or are you just waiting around for something that isn't going to happen? Just like everyone's waiting around for the rain, just like Clint's waiting around for his someday. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting because yeah, her character, um, it's another one like Ralph where you can dislike her very easily. Right. Everything is done so well. It, uh, in, and I'm not, I'm not dunking on Quantum Leap, but a lot of the times the villains and sort of the motivations are a lot more two-dimensional. So it's easy to, oh, this is the one I need to hate. This is the one I need to like. This is, you know, this is the damsel in distress. And I thought all of these characters were much more nuanced than that. And it was the strength of the episode. And you were talking about um, uh, Clinton waiting around for a someday. Can we just give a slow clap to Carl Anthony Payne? The second? Hmm. Wonderful, oh, yeah, he was great. wonderful performance by him. Hell yeah. Yeah. And there are a couple of things about Clinton's character that I find amazing and troubling. And um, I think that uh, on the whole, he was great. He, you know, he, he brought all the humor home in it and his spiel was better than Sam's. The music worked perfectly when he was selling the town and sort of picking up the slack when Sam didn't know what to do. You see, modern science. Science has discovered that water vapor is always in the air. <laughs> well, now I know it seems impossible. I mean, but it's true. It's here. Right now. Yes, it's all around us. <laughs> now, the problem is getting it to form into little drops and fall to the ground. Yes, sir. We are going to make it rain. You know, he had this down. I mean, he followed this guy from town to town and he sort of understood the game. And um, I think that that's why Billy found something of use in him. I want to say that uh, he's just another one of Billy's victims, though. I think um, I think he knows that it's bullshit. Oh, no, he definitely knows. But he believes that a miracle will happen. That's the someday that he's waiting for. So I think that he has some faith there despite being a, um, another charlatan. He's, he's conning these people out of their money. I agree with you wholeheartedly that that's what he's waiting for, but I think that that is also what Billy is using to string him along. Doc, you picked me up out of Shantytown in East St. Louis. i never seen a sunrise or, or, or bathe in clean water or even had a full belly till I met you. You taught me how to walk tall. I think you're plenty worthwhile. <laughs> Besides, you know good and damn well I'm waiting for someday. <laughs> someday? Yeah, someday, you know. You always tell me. Clint, someday this whole thing's gonna work and the rain's gonna fall. And when it does, I'm gonna nail my boots to that patch of ground and turn this whole shooting match over to you. You believe that? Sure. I believe in you, Doc. So basically, Billy found someone else that he could use and, you know, manipulate. And think about the time period, too. This was 1953. Yeah. And there's a lot of subtext in this that they play. I mean, it, it, it's sort of there, it's sort of not. But the very second um, the mother sees Billy, she just like her eyes narrow. And she's like, who's your friend? And, you know, and then it just sort of goes away after that. But then they casually, I think it's the guy Vern at the service station, said something to the effect of, um, your boy said this. 
Like, oh, that's just some mm. casual racism right there, you know? Just referring to him as your boy. You know, it, I'm surprised I'm surprised there wasn't more racism from this small town yeah. in 1953. And he is the sole black character there. There's no other black characters, which I, I don't know if I would... Well, no, okay. I was going to say, I don't know if I would buy that they wouldn't have, like, um, black people working for them. But I think all of them are, like too poor to afford help right mm. i did see some people of color in the crowd when they had the picnic oh, scenes there? i think like maybe one woman or uh maybe one couple but there did seem to be uh just a token nod to some diversity in the town whether or not um they did that deliberately or they just were filling out the scene with extras or what or maybe they did it just to show you that okay this is why uh, Clinton's not having as much of a problem in this town as you would expect from a small southern town in the 50s. Do you think that this, because it was 1953 and they, uh, Clinton and Billy met some time before this, I don't know how long of a period it's supposed to have been, do you think him being a young black man in that time helps Billy to take advantage of him? I think that it helps Billy to take advantage of not only him, but maybe gives him access to communities that he can mm -hmm. huck, huckster, whatever, uh, rip off um, that he otherwise yeah. wouldn't normally be able to get into. Because now he's got an assistant of color that can bring him into areas where he normally would probably have to avoid um, just because of the racial dynamics of the time. And this whole thing about, this is what I was talking about with, with sort of like the power of expectation. And you said it perfectly because they said it in the episode, Clinton's someday. Do you really think that Billy was ever going to give his business over to Clinton? I know that that's the <laughs> dream that he sold Clinton on and just follow the logic here. You're right, you're right. Billy's telling Clinton, if ever we get this this scam, because we both know it's a scam, I've never seen you do it the same way twice, Doc. Um, if we ever get this to work, I'm going to plant my feet down in whatever town it works in, and I'm handing you the keys to the business. And I'm thinking, okay, so Billy is really good at manipulating because what person who finally finds the real formula for making it rain is then going to hand that over to somebody else to make a gazillion dollars? I, I think that that was another way for Billy to string Clinton along so that he would have him in his thrall. And I really, the more I watched this episode, the more I could not stand Billy. I need to write a book about Billy. I thought Emery was bad. Billy is a scumbag. Chris, you've, you've <laughs> really made me dislike Billy. You know, I think, I think you have changed my mind a bit about what I was talking about before about Billy's character. Uh, finding his foundation and his faith because really we don't know anything about Billy. No, we just <laughs> Billy should have. I, I don't think there any should have been any sort of redemption or him saying that he's going to stay. There wasn't really any redemption at all. We we know next to nothing about him as a person other than he is, um, or at least how he's changed as a person because he he wouldn't. He wasn't there. Right, and I don't know when he comes back and you know his brother's hugging him. As far as he knows, he was just rolling into town. And all of a sudden, it's raining, and he's in his brother's I, arms. I guess his business is gone, right? right. So he's going he's <laughs> to say, "Oh shit! Did he give? Did he give him the keys? How? What? Where am I? What are we? What? Are, I don't want to stay here in this stupid podunk burg with this one who I tossed aside <laughs> seven years ago, and this one who I never liked. And oh, okay, hi, mom. I like you, but uh, I got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's just like 
I, I think I, I overthink these things because um, in many ways I found parallels um, with Billy's character. It's the character I wrote in my book. So I naturally went to the same places that I did in my book. And, I, you know, again, we're getting very Chris-centric here, so I want to broaden it out again. But I had so many um, emotions about who Billy was once I saw past Sam that it, it shaded the entire episode for me. That's all. Sure. I think that's that's probably what makes the episode so mixed hmm. is because, you know, I, I don't think there's really a good conclusion for a, a comeuppance for him. Right. Right. Except for a couple of punches in the face that he didn't even have to take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that fight, they were really going at it. Like they were flipping each other around, falling through railings, throwing each other on top of a car. That was a proper dirty fights yeah yeah sam's got like blood pouring from his nose <laughs> yeah i liked um the mixed metaphors that al was giving uh when oh. <laughs> sam was trying to get information about yeah. uh, changing the weather and all that and like al's like that's a leaf of another color no wait a uh, horse of another kettle <laughs> al was really good his greatest all-time line, I think, might have been in this episode. Well, the cutting edge of meteorology work is done at Defense and Agritech. So and those just... morons, they guard their computer secrets like a little virgin guards her, her stamp collection. Stamp collection. <laughs> 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 I really I love that line. I absolutely adore it. Yeah. So. In the end, I mean, like, Al does nothing, right? Uh, no, I guess if you want to go with the science versus faith and come down on the side of science, Al gave Sam, you know, inadvertently, admittedly, inadvertently, the formula to make it rain because they did seed the clouds with what Al told Sam to, to pour. So, yeah, but that in the I end, mean, the only evidence he gives that this might work is like something where he's like, yeah, someone did this in some time period, but it was kind of predicted it was going to rain anyway and all this other stuff. I, I don't believe there really is a science to changing weather. And you, you know, that's that story that Al tells that's based on historical fact. We looked up this guy that this kid Clinton here was talking about, this Dr. Schaefer, and it turns out that he was real and that he actually Made it snow one time in the 40s using silver iodide. Really? Yes, I'm sure about this. It happened on the New York-Massachusetts border in 1946. Of course, there was a 95% chance it was going to snow anyway. Uh, no, 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 no. Vincent Schaefer. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of him before I saw this episode, but I looked it up and it's that that actually happened. I believe that it did. I, I didn't look that up, so it's interesting they were using a real case. Yeah. But um, I, I sort of... I am on the side of what they're implying there and that, like, you know, if it was predicted anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it actually happened in as much as, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Vincent Schaefer existed and made it snow on what was possibly going to be a snowy day. <laughs> <laughs> go, Vincent, go. And I think that's, I mean, that's what rainmakers and people like that, that's what they would, uh, yes. that's their bread and butter, you know, yeah. go around places where it might happen and... You know, it, it's like with psychics when they're trying to solve cases, you know, sometimes you're right. Sometimes things happen the way you say, coincidentally. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it all comes down to what side of the fence you want to come down on. So I think it was important for them to give this at least a nod to some scientific basis just so that they could say we tried to play both sides of the coin when the coin actually landed on God. I mean, I, I so did not buy any of the 
the scientific side of it, though. I, I don't think you were supposed yeah. to. I think they were, nah. yeah, they were giving it lip service. Sure. Talking about lip service, segue, lip service. Do Alan Sam even have any pretext of finding a private place to talk anymore? <laughs> <laughs> just, he's he's praying. I like when the, the one guy thinks that Sam's praying by saying, like, get the hell yes. down here. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Might want to brush up on your prayers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just walking down the middle of a crowded street talking to nobody, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, all that food did look good. Mm. I agree with Al. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wanted to uh mention too, lip service. Um Anne Haney is also another reused actor mm-hmm. from Quantum Leap. She plays the mother in this, Grace Beaumont, and she was um the lady with the adoption agency in eight and a half mm-hmm. months. Yeah. She's a solid actress. I've seen her do a lot of TV work. Yeah, she shows up in a lot and uh yeah, she's always always a pleasure to see her. Yeah, I enjoyed her because she was sort of a bedrock, and I especially loved at the end when Annie went up to her and said, oh, they're going to kill each other, and she's like, I ain't stopping this. I've been waiting <laughs> for this to happen for years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was just so so dry and so droll, you know? I, I, loved, I loved the way that she just looked at everything. She just was not a reactionary. She just saw things as they were and mm-hmm. accepted them for as they were. And I think Ralph could have taken a lesson from her. And surely she did not impart that lesson on Billy at all. <laughs> so She's a centrist. Not going to fall on either side. Okay. <laughs> I just thought she was wise. Old and wise. So. <laughs> wizened. Ah, <laughs> uh, wizened. Well, I hope that people listening to our podcast feel wizened. By our observations. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wear out our wizened welcome, um, guys, I think I, that, that's pretty much all I have to say about Single Drop of Range. You guys want to get into some um, final impressions. Is this good Quantum Leap? I think it is good Quantum Leap. It's a, a nice return to form. I do like when they try different things, but it was nice to kind of feel like we're back in uh, their their comfort zone. A nice, um, good feelings episode with very complex characters. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think it's a it's it's a very safe episode. Um, it's yeah, comfort zone. I think is the exact right way to put it. It's um, it's a lovely episode. Lots of good humor. It's got the heart. It's got the the action drama element. It's it's yeah, it, it's kind of your stereotypical quantum leap episode although having spent the last hour talking about this i now really dislike billy in a way that i didn't before so <laughs> thank thanks chris <laughs> well i try to bring at least some uh deeper context to episodes when i watch them because you know we could always talk around and say how oh, we like this we like that but that you know where i i think that uh, we want to go beyond that but anyway um matt i'm sorry that i made you dislike billy but he was manifestly a scumbag in- oh oh i, I disliked him <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong I, I never thought he was a good guy but you've just really hammered that home over the last hour um just just how awful he is <laughs> billy 
is now one of the all-time quantum leap villains, and he's not Italian. Good work, Billy. Very good on you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to join you guys in in your praise of this episode. I mean, a little bit of spiel, almost a little bit of dancing and some showmanship from Scott, some banter between Sam and Al and Scott in a sharp suit. I mean, what's not to love? So, yeah. So, all right. Well, um, now that we have uh, a little bit of a return to form for Quantum Leap in season four, uh, Matt, can you tell us what's coming up next? Oh, next. Next episode looks like it might be a bit of a more serious one. It's Unchained. Is it Unbreak? Unbreak? <laughs> I think it's Unbreak My Heart. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Unchained Melody? Yeah. Unchained Melody. You know, the funny thing is when I was writing the notes for this episode, I wrote Unchained Melody, right? That's what this is. No, it's Unchained. That That's the name that's, uh, I think, listed on the script, even though it's not the name of the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's used in the, the Quantum Leap book as well. Um, they call it Unchained Melody, huh? Yeah. Yeah, very uh, common mistake, but it yes. makes no sense because it no. has nothing to do with the episode. Exactly. <laughs> We're getting back to MIA then, if you want to talk about Unchained Mm. Melody. But, um, Mm. you know, it's funny because uh, I had mentioned in the last episode that Quantum Leap in season four started to ape um, movie scripts. And I think this is an example of that. But we'll talk about that more next time, everyone. Uh, Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time on The Run from the Law. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Okay, I didn't I didn't mean to change the topic. I just wanted to point out that um I really loved the fake Quaker oats yeah. thing that they just add a beard <laughs> yeah. and it just re- a close up of it. A close up of their really bad Quaker oats just add a beard to it. Yeah, I saw that too and I I had that in my notes as I really I mean 
even without the product placement, it's product placement. What else could that be? Why don't you just make a cardboard cylinder? I don't think it's product placement, though, or it would have just been normal Quaker Oats. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's just so silly. I don't think that covered them no, not at, all. at all. I think they I think they were supposed to cover the face or turn it away, and they didn't. <laughs> I was just uh, I was just describing the fallacy of the way they tried to just dis- to disguise it. Mm-hmm. It was just ridiculous. But I was um. I was in a, a movie um, that was terrible where they had a Quaker Oats thing and what they did was add like a beard and mustache with a Sharpie and then like they added the word style after Quaker and it's like, are you guys kidding me? Like this isn't going to change anything. Change, cover the label. <laughs> Get some wrapping paper. So wait a minute. The, the, hold up. We're going to take a, an intermission here. Allison, you were in a bad movie? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's a stupid internet movie with people that I don't work with anymore. Don't seek this out. (laughs) All right. Well, um, you heard Allison. Don't seek it out, people. Move away. There's nothing to see here. We're going to put the Jedi mind trick on you. It's not worth your time. All Southerners are dumb as shit.